again, we, we quickly discovered there were three options. One is you can just sink. You can just give up. You, you, in essence, you die. Now, you may not physically die, but mm-hmm. your hopes, your dreams, and your aspirations are extinguished. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in this great resignation. Mm-hmm. Is some men and women are just saying it's just too hard. And they're, yeah. they're, just, they're just sinking. They're, they're giving yeah. in to the quicksand. Hi, my name is Chris Zaug, and welcome to Let's Talk Teams, a podcast by Uptick the one-on-one meeting software that helps managers and their teams get on the same page. But more than that, actually having better conversations with one another, not just talking about projects or status updates and all the stuff you can do via email. It digs into the nitty gritty things, how work is going and how your team members work best, the conversations you never get to really have. So we're here today with Mark Miller, the VP of High Performance Leadership at Chick-fil-A. And and Mark, you and I have chatted before, but I have one question to start off with right off the bat, okay? Employee number 16. I mean, wh- what's it like to be at a company where you're employee number 16 and now you're a worldwide brand? Well, it is a little lonely because <laughs> the 15 people that preceded me, um, many of them are dead and they're all gone. Oh, so my. I'm the last man. I'm the last man standing uh, right now. But uh, it has been just an amazing journey hmm. uh, to see it over more than 40 years now. We had about 75 restaurants, as I recall, when I started. And mm-hmm. today we have over twenty eight hundred. Oh my goodness! And we're we're uh, we're selling a lot more chicken today than we were forty years ago. Oh no doubt! And, and actually, that was my second question. Any estimate as to how many Chick Fil A sandwiches you've eaten in forty years? <laughs> my fair share. <laughs> I, I'm quite sure that I've eaten my fair share too. I, I, I thought if you asked me the same question, I'd be like embarrassingly. I would give you an embarrassing number, which I won't do. Well. Back in the day, one of one of my roles over the years was in restaurant operations. Mm-hmm. And I worked, my team and I, we worked with half the chain. So we were in restaurants a lot. And we right. had a rule, you eat food in every restaurant. Mm-hmm. We're in the restaurant business. Right. So even if it was a stop by, you know, drop in, just gone, you know, headed to the airport, wanted to see you, we're going to eat food. So right. I've eaten Chick-fil-A food in a lot of restaurants. Oh my gosh. Well, that sounds like a great job to me. I'll just be the food taster guy with Chick-fil-A. That would work for me really well. Uh, but, but Mark, I've had an opportunity to read a couple of your books and read several of your blog posts and I just love them. I love the way that you bring um, kind of the, 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 the part of leadership where you need to give direction and clarity and those sorts of things and make it human for people. Um, a recent book that I, that I started reading is called Smart Leadership. And in that, you start by talking about how people get thrust into leadership, right? They're just, you know, kind of battlefield promotion. Uh, one, minute they're, one minute they're just working, the next minute they're leading people. And, and how once the treadmill gets going, it's, it's kind of hard to get off. It's kind of hard to get off and learn the things you need to learn. And uh, for, for many, of us, many of us will blame other things, outside forces. And I think you call it the quicksand in the book. Like there's just stuff going on and I, I can't really take care of the things I, have, I, I want to do because I'm doing the things I have to do. And you had some answers to that that weren't very comfortable for me. Like I'm the villain, like it's my fault. And so I want to hear a little bit more about the quicksand, if you would. Well, first, uh, let me say I'm glad that you found the message helpful even though it was convicting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so 
our team has been working for decades trying to identify current and emerging issues. Mm-hmm. And then we try to figure out how to help. And right. sometimes an issue will be upon us. And sometimes we can just see it over the horizon. Mm-hmm. And we started this work several years ago when we were alarmed by the number of leaders that were struggling. Mm-hmm. These weren't men and women that didn't know how to lead. These were mm-hmm. leaders and they right. were struggling. And so we went down this path of what we initially called leadership effectiveness. How can we help leaders be more effective? Mm-hmm. And as you reference, we gravitated almost intuitively to all of the things that are making it hard to lead right. busyness and complexity and distractions. And we said, that's the problem. That's, that's the quicksand. We originally thought the quicksand was the villain. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, by the way, let me let me say that, that our list continued to grow. When I took that early list of business, distraction, complexity, resource constraints, and other mm-hmm. things to some leaders, they said, yeah, we understand all that, but that's not our problem. I said, mm. oh, what, what, what's your problem? They said, well, it's any number of things. It's fear, fatigue, mm. aimlessness. I mean, mm. it was like, okay. So what do we do with all that? Well, we just put it in the quicksand bucket. What we realized is that every leader's quicksand is their own toxic mix, Mm -hmm. and it changes in seasons and circumstance. But in none of those scenarios, is it good? Right. And so we began to to try and figure out what do we do about all this quicksand? And then we Mm -hmm. started meeting some leaders that weren't in quicksand. And Mm. some of them didn't like they'd ever been in quicksand. And we said, hold Mm. on, let's study those people. Yeah. And because we realized that some leaders have developed the ability to get out and stay out, we could no longer say the quicksand is villain. Right. Well, and you mentioned that and you say there's kind of three things you can do with the quicksand. And and, and some of us, and I've, I've done this before, bro, I'm telling you. I'll swim in it, even if I see a way out. It's almost like I get more comfortable swimming in the quicksand, even though it's killing me. I don't know. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, again, we, we quickly discovered there were three options. One is you can just sink. You can just give up. You, you, in essence, you die. Now, you may not physically die, mm-hmm. but your hopes, your dreams, and your aspirations are extinguished. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in this great resignation. Mm-hmm. Is some men and women are just saying it's just too hard. And they're, yeah. they're just they're just sinking. They're, they're yeah. giving into the quicksand. The second group, which I actually believe is the majority of leaders, they're trying to swim in the quicksand because mm-hmm. they know how to swim and Correct. they have this this uh, voice in their head that says when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep swimming mm-hmm. a couple a couple of fundamental problems. One is you're never going to win a gold medal. Swimming in quicksand. <laughs> right. You're never going to lead to your full uh, effectiveness. You're right. you're just you're not. And secondly, and a little more insidious, is it's not sustainable. Right. You you'll end up in that first category if you're not mm-hmm. careful because mm-hmm. you'll just be exhausted. Right. You'll just be exhausted. And so the third option are those men and women who, when they find themselves in quicksand, they get out. They escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that became the focus of our study is how do people get out and stay out of the quicksand? 
I love that. And I, and I, I think one of the things you opened up for me in that, looking back at my own leadership journey over the last 40 years, is that the one thing we have, there's a lot of things we don't have and we can't control. But some of the things we can control are our choices. And that was something that was like, oh yeah, like, and so I, I find myself sometimes, even though I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, strengths finder guy and, you know, positivity and adaptability are my top two strengths, you know, which I often call the the strength of delusion and plan B, <laughs> but, but, you know, I generally have a, a positive outlook on life, but there are times when, when the difficulty seems so hard and I feel like the waves are so high that I just can't survive it. Um, but even in that, you say that we have choices. So talk a little bit about the four smart choices that we have in those situations when we feel overwhelmed and we're just, we're, we're, we're swimming too hard. We're exhausted. We're going to sink. Okay. So the first thing that may come to mind for some of your listeners, when you introduce the idea of choices, they could be thinking, well, man, I make a lot of choices. You know, you're mm. actually correct. The psychologists mm. tell us that you make between 30 and 35 thousand remotely conscious choices every day. That's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt. Good news, that's not what we're talking about. Right. We've identified four smart choices, and and we define that as a choice that may require a little more energy, a little more focus, but yields a disproportionate return. Mm -hmm. Now, these aren't the only four choices you'll ever need to make in your life. They're Mm -hmm. the four choices that'll get you out of quicksand. Right. Right. First, first smart choice. Smart leaders choose to confront reality. Mm. They choose to confront reality. Yeah. The truth is our friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sure. It's only when you lead from a position of truth can can you have confidence? Can you have, um, yeah, uh, competence? I mean, if you don't, if, if you're leading without the truth, you'll never lead from a position of strength. These four are not in rank order or priority, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. is first among equals. Yeah. 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 You have to confront the, the truth about your reality. You know, I love that. And I, I think one of the other truths in that is, is I found that in my leadership, when I'm not confronting reality, my team knows and I lose credibility, right? They know it's like this guy is on Mars or something, you know, we need to, we need to help them understand. And, and you can quickly lose the confidence of your team when they feel like you're living in some other version of reality. Sure. Absolutely. Um, when we talk about this, we say, well, People often say, well, in what arenas should I confront reality? And I would say in every arena possible, but you probably Mm. can't do it all at once. So I say, here's a short list. Wouldn't you like to know the truth about your leadership? Mm -hmm. What's it like to be on the other end of your leadership? Mm. It'd be really good if you knew that. Yeah, that's great. What's the reality and the truth about your team? Mm-hmm. How good are they collectively and individually? Mm-hmm. What about the reality around your relationships? Mm-hmm. What's the truth about your health? Mm-hmm. What's the truth about your finances? Don't go, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was with a group this morning and I shared with them. I said, pick something. And I would say either something, you know, that you don't know the truth. Right. Or maybe 
something that you are very confident that you know reality. Mm-hmm. You might want to check. Right. And begin the process of trying to figure out what is true in that particular area. Do you have a personal example, Mark, where, where you've had to, to kind of you know, backtrack and say, I think I knew this, but I didn't know? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all yeah. the time. Um, yeah. I mean, that's why I've been doing personal surveys on my leadership since I mm. made one up and typed it myself in 1983 and gave it to my team. Nice. Your own version of a 360 almost, right? Exactly. I made yeah. it up because yeah. I mean, I want people to walk into my office and tell me the truth. And some people will, and a lot of people won't. Right. And so every time I do that, I learn something. That's great. Uh, whether it's a homemade version or a real version or a live yeah. 360 or an engagement survey done by the organization where, mm-hmm. you know, men and women under my leadership are filling it out about what is it like to be on my team. Mm-hmm. Every time I've ever done it, I've learned, I've learned things. When, when you, one, one of the things that's difficult in that is in a lot of more toxic leadership situations, if you're honest with your, with your leader, you get somehow punished. It could be a passive aggressive punishment. Maybe you don't get fired, but you know, you don't get the promotion. You don't get the, the key project for the leaders that are underneath you. How do you encourage them to, to believe the truth, to want to know the truth? Because we all come in, you know, years ago, I had a, I had a pastor who shared with me, there are three things that people bring into relationships, right? They bring in their personality, you know, who God made them to be. He, they bring in their perspective, their experience, and they bring in their pathology, you know, the things that are sick that need to be healed. And, and I think, um, you know, the leaders that have reported to you over the years, everybody comes in with their three things too. How do you encourage them that the truth is actually their friend? I think those, it ultimately hinges on a lot of one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we get, again, I'm trying to think about some specific examples. We get to their challenges. We get to their pain points. We explore their assumptions. Well, what if what if what you're assuming to be true is not true? Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of those type of conversations. And and again, there all of us at some time or another are unwilling to confront reality. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not even qualified to, right. to speak to all of the right. reasons that that is the case. But I think if as a leader, you have to help your leaders Mm. value the truth and you have Mm -hmm. to help them value reality. And part of our job as a leader of leaders is to be a voice Mm. of truth and Mm -hmm. reality and Mm -hmm. literally to tell somebody, Hey, here's what you think. That's not what's going on. Mm. Mm -hmm. For sure. No, that's not what's going on. Again, people think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm being confrontational. Isn't that bad? Well, not when, when I go to the doctor, I want my physician to be confrontational with me because I want him to fix whatever's wrong. And in the same way as leaders, I think that are, are the people that report to us really need to have that. So, so, so the first choice we have is to confront that reality. Where do we go from there? Well, let me say one more quick thing about okay. that, because getting yeah. feedback is certainly one way to do that. I want to give folks a few more ideas. You can have mm-hmm. a personal board of directors. You can hire a coach. 
You can find a mentor. Um, you can use consultants. You can create a peer group. I'm in a group mm-hmm. that's been meeting for over 20 years. We meet twice a month and oh, we've been wow. studying leadership and they have fresh eyes. We share our development plans with each other while they're still in draft form in the fall so they can give feedback so that we can put our plans together for the upcoming year. So there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, we spent most of our time there on on, uh, feedback, you know, Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. face-to-face or on anonymous form. And that is certainly one avenue, but there are a lot of other ways. So I just wanted to give give a few more. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So where do we where do we go from there? The second smart choice is to grow capacity. Now, for a lot of people, they're going, well, if I had capacity, I wouldn't be having these problems. I wouldn't be in the quicksand. So it's like, are you you kidding? Well, I do think this is the felt need of most leaders. They're not feeling the absence of the other three choices. Now, the other right. three choices don't matter. What they're feeling is they don't have enough capacity. Right. And I would say, well, then that's something you ought to work on, right? Right. If you choose to grow your capacity, then you have to find the strategies and tactics to help you do that. And that can include uh, conversations around structure, conversations around role clarity, conversations around personal energy management. I mean, there mm-hmm. are any number of ways to grow your capacity. Uh, Mm -hmm. The one I want to camp on for just half a second is I would argue the most confrontational slash counterintuitive thing in the whole book is that smart leaders, they often employ the strategy of margin. Now, when I talk to people about that, particularly people in quicksand, it's, it's like, wait a minute, I'm drowning and you, you're on the shore saying, hey, I got this coupon for swimming lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I had somebody tell me recently and they weren't real happy with me for suggesting margin as a strategy to grow capacity. Um, they said, uh, I don't have time for a vacation. I said, well, I'm, I'm actually not debating that. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't probably right. do since that's what you said. But I'm asking you about the leadership discipline of margin. I said, when Mm. do you have time on your calendar to reflect, to assess, to think, to create, and to plan? Mm. Mm. They didn't have have a response. I said, who's doing that if you're not? If the leader's not reflecting, assessing, thinking, creating, and planning, it's, it's a huge part of the leader's job to do those things. And yeah. so people often say, well, gosh, you know, are you serious? They just finished a 12-year study out of Harvard looking at the calendars of CEOs mm-hmm. for 12 years. On average, during the work week, they spend 28% of their working hours alone. Hmm. And somebody said, well, what are they doing? Reflect, right. assess, think, create, and plan. Mark, one of the things you, you've said, I, I couldn't remember as a, a podcast or in a blog that you wrote something that I just, I went, yes, teams don't drift to greatness. And if CEOs aren't taking that time, I, 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 this is no joke. I once looked at my calendar over a year and a half period, and I'm sure that I found some time somewhere, but I could not find 15 unscheduled minutes in a year and a half. 
And finally, my boss looked at me and said, this is insane. I'm telling you to take some time off right now to, you know, to, to kind of get it together because I wasn't leading, right? I was reacting. And so I loved that uh, teams don't gri- drift to greatness. And I think that time that the CEOs are getting help, help recharge them for the, for, the, for the things they need to do, bring the mission and the vision to their teams. I don't know. I talked to a guy, a friend of mine, who became the president of a multi-billion dollar company. And he said the first thing that he did was double his time alone. But I can't tell you that's your answer because if you're doing zero, double that's not going to help you. Right. So here's, here's what I tell leaders. Depending on how big your problems are, how big your challenges are, how big your dream is, and how lofty your vision, the more time you're going to need alone. Seems so counterintuitive, really. Wow. Okay, so we've, we've, we've created that space. We're, we're dreaming. We're moving on. We've, we've confronted our reality, which made us create the space because we have to figure something out here. Where do we go from there? Well, the third smart choice is to fuel curiosity. Hmm. And this is the one that I think you might feel was expected because the best leaders have always been learners. Mm -hmm. Right. They always have been, but we were able to affirm that Uh, I was excited because people have been asking me in one form or another forever. Is there a leadership fountain of youth? And what I used to say is I hope so, because I'm looking for it. (laughs) Right. Now I've decided there is, and it's called curiosity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, any number of strategies and tactics. You can be an experiential learner. You can be a relationally oriented learner. You can be a reader, um, any number of things. The, the one strategy that I would call out for your listeners is to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. I devoted an entire chapter in the book to that topic called Ask, Don't Tell. Love that. The more questions I ask, the better I lead. Mm-hmm. And, and I encourage folks to collect questions, you know, like arrows in your quiver, because they have different worth and value in different circumstances. And a question that might work real well when you're problem solving mm-hmm. is not the question that you ask when you're doing strategic planning. And so right. to always be collecting questions and, and be quick to use them. And that's, that's a pretty potent strategy to fuel curiosity. Yeah, I love that. And what I love is I've heard you say on a couple of occasions that that this is something other people recognize as a strength of yours that you said, this is definitely not a strength of mine. Talk to me about how you, for those of us that, you know, my, my mother was a television reporter, so I love asking questions. It's kind of a fun thing for me, stories. But a lot of my friends have a very difficult time kind of digging in. How did you overcome some of your, um, just the way your, your DNA is made up that you're not like that naturally? Well, yeah, I I made a conscious choice over 40 years ago to pursue lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. I had a supervisor who told me, he said, if you want more influence, he said, if you want more impact, if you want more opportunity, you got to commit to lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. And the way I've talked about it ever since is your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. Mm. And so I said, okay, if that's how the world works, I'll make that choice. Because again, I'm not, you mentioned strength finders earlier. I'm not Mm -hmm. a learner. I don't think learners in my top 20. (laughs) Somebody said, well, you act like a learner. I said, well, that's because I made a decision over 40 years ago. Right. Right. That would enable me 
to have greater impact in the world. Oftentimes we'll say, I mean, I love strengths-based leadership. I think it's fantastic, but there are just some things you have to do in life. Like, right, I'm not naturally an organized person, but if I don't pay my bills or kicking me out of my house, my, my lights go off. I have to learn it. And I think you're right. In order to be a leader, to be able to not just, you know, not just with the problems, because curiosity is wonderful when you've got problems, you want to dig in around and ask a lot of questions, but also just personally with your teams, being able to not try to diagnose them. But be curious. I have a funny story about that. I, I was years for years. I was an executive director of a nonprofit, and we were doing a, a hundred hole golf challenge marathon, and it was it was great. I loved it. I, you know, I loved playing golf. So went out there and played. And we had a local television station in Indianapolis that that kind of ran a, a teaser, a bumper on it early in the morning, and then the reporter came out and golfed with me for four hours. In four hours, a television reporter never asked me a single question. And, and I just thought to myself, I, I thought, I, I can't admit, I asked him a hundred questions, you know, but, but it was interesting. And I thought, I thought it, it was off-putting and I, but I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm, maybe he's just tired of asking questions because he's a reporter. I don't know. But it made me think about how important it is to show curiosity in, in problem solving, in, in, in personal relationships in so many ways. And even though it's not natural, it's sort of like, you need to you need to learn this if you're going to actually lead human beings. So I love that, Mark. Yeah, and and you'll learn a lot, but so will the people you're asking questions of. Right, right. That's right. Yeah, it's a great it's a great strategy to fuel curiosity. Okay, and the fourth choice that we have. Well, the fourth choice is the one that I don't usually spend a lot of time on because it's the blinding flash of the obvious. <laughs> is that smart leaders choose to create change. Mm -hmm. But we had to mention it because there are a lot of women and men in the world who might actually make the first three choices and that they're still lousy leaders mm -hmm. because they don't want to create change. I mean, I still meet leaders way too often who think that change is a burden. It's an inconvenience. It's an option. Mm -hmm. It's a nuisance. It's like, well, no, actually changes your job. Yeah. I mean, progress, progress is always preceded by change. Right. And so um, you've, you've got to be willing and able to choose to create change. Now, you're better prepared to create that change if you've made the other choices. Mm, I mean, right. you said it earlier when we started this conversation. And I want to see if I got this right. You said sometimes you're swimming in quicksand. And you see the way out, but you don't get out. Right, right, exactly. Now, I'm not going to get into the why behind that, but I would argue that in this little model, you've, you may have made those first three choices, but you're not going to choose to get out. And you even said you see the way out. Right, right. So, so it is the fourth choice for a reason, because this whole concept is about how you improve your effectiveness and scale your impact and change will be required. If you yeah. want to, if you want to, if you want more influence, you want more opportunity, you want more impact, you're going to actually have to change something. Yeah. You know, you, we talked earlier about you being employee number 16 with just 75 restaurants. Now there's 2,800 or whatever that is. And, and obviously you've had to have massive amounts of change. How do you approach shepherding 
your teams who many of whom don't like change at all. In fact, it's probably why they're not, they don't aspire to leadership. Maybe they'll be managers. You make that, that sort of distinction as well. But talk to me about how you shepherd those people through the process, knowing you have to do it because living things grow. That's what they do. Sure. Well, let, let me say that we're in the midst of a multi-year study on change. And we mm-hmm. just finished a global survey of leaders and frontline associates around the world. Mm-hmm. And we're actually trying to help leaders. This is one of those things that we've identified as a current and accelerating problem. More mm-hmm. change, more complex change, more interdependent change. And the sheer uh, uh, volume and frequency and velocity—it's—it's it, right. not—it's not the world of 20, 30 years ago when an organization had a single change initiative that everybody right. could rally around and work on it for a year or two, right. and then and pick another one. Um, so I don't know all of those answers. Where my team is working really, really hard on it. But we we do believe that it's important to help people maintain a sense of personal identity in the midst of change. Mm-hmm. Because the strategies and tactics are changing, that doesn't increase nor decrease your worth as a human being. Right. Is you've added value, and we assume that you'll add value going forward. But mm-hmm. this is this is not about your worth as a person. Hmm. And so we, we have learned early in the research phase that when most people are scared of change and many are, it's because they're caught, their identity is caught up in the work and you want people right. to care about their work. Right. But, but there's a step too far when, if you, right. when, when, if you discontinue this project, then I'm a failure as a human being. And we've got to try to help people make that separation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's sort of like when back in the days when we would get the phone book, the first thing you do is you look in the back. The, for me, my last name is Zaug. So I look at the back of the phone book to make sure I was in the phone book, right? Well, hey, look, I made it. Well, you know, way to go. And same thing when we hear about change. The first thing we ask is, well, how is this going to affect me? And 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 if a, if a leader handles it well, and to your point, handles it individually. So you, you understand that not everybody's the same. So I, I for instance, am a guy, I like change. I, I, I'll, I'll change stuff just because I, I like change. Um, but over the years of leading, I've had, I would say 80% of the people that have worked with me do not like change. And so being able to kind of identify, and this goes back to your curiosity and you know, that's uh, asking questions like, what are the things that, are, that you fear? What fears can I allay? You know that that I can that, that can I help you with so that you can understand that we're we're working together on this and not doing not not trying to do it you know coming down from the from Mount Sinai with the stone tablets and delivering change to you you know we don't want to do that. So if if you if you call me back in a year, I'll I'll have a more fully orb point of view. But we are trying to figure out what is universally true about leaders and organizations that do an exceptional job mm. in this in this new world of change. We think the nature of change has changed. Yeah. And we're and we're trying and we're trying to figure out what's what's an appropriate response um, to, to serve leaders. So I'll ha- I'll have more to say in about a year. I love it. And I think you just came up with the title of your new new book. The na- the nature of what what would you say the the nature of of change has changed? 
Yeah, I love it. It's a great title. Great title. It, it sings to me. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I have one more question for you, um, and it, it doesn't have to do with what we were just talking about in the book. But you know, we live in a we live in a culture of polarization and relational landmines, right? We do. And you talk about. I just read an, a blog post. I think it's been in the last month, maybe in the last week, where you talked about engagement and the the idea. You know, we're hearing a lot about engagement from Gallup and some of the other surveyors talking about, particularly Gen Y and Gen Z, in this engagement piece, and. And you were talking about how we need to have human conversations with people where we can find what's common, what's the common ground. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of what you do when you're, when you're interacting with somebody and trying to, trying to develop that, perhaps even if you know, hey, there's some things we're just not going to agree on, but, but there are things that we want to be able to, to, to agree on and relate with. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it varies from uh, context to context. Uh, I mean, there there are probably some principles that bridge the workplace and personally, because I know mm-hmm. what you just described is true in personal relationships outside the workplace. And sure. it's certainly true within the workplace. But you really referenced my my answer is real conversations, human to human Hmm. Tell me your story. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can connect with people, that's the first step. You you can't Hmm. serve someone you can't connect to. You can't understand someone that you don't connect to. You can't care for someone that you can't connect to. And so I know it it probably feels uh, antiquated in today's world to have real conversations. I (laughs) talk to people all the time. I'll say, did you talk to so-and-so? And And they say, well, I texted them. I get, no, that that wasn't my question. Did you talk to them? Well, I texted them. So, okay, so you haven't talked to them. Right. Right. I I just don't know that in my lifetime, the conversation is going to become obsolete. I think there's still huge, huge, huge value in talking to people. Right. And I think that's the first step to building a bridge. I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I for years, uh, taught communication and we used to say, and I don't know if this is actually true, but I've heard it quoted many times that 93% of all communication is nonverbal. So when we were talking today about doing this interview and you said, is this a phone interview or your, your assistant says, is this a phone interview or is this video? I said, I would like for, for it to be a video interview, not because I'm going to use the video to post it anywhere, but I want to see Mark's face when he gets excited and when he's, when he's ready to go and he's got something to say. And you just don't get that on a text. And, and I know I sound like an old old guy like that, but, but I think it's true. And I think in leading, I found it really to be true that if I'm going to show uh, empathy and compassion, and especially through, we're just talking about the change process, how important it is for people to see in my eyes that I actually, I actually do care. This is not a transactional relationship. This is hopefully a transformational relationship that we can work on together. So I love that. Mark, this has been an absolute joy. Now, how do people, I, I've loved your blog. How do they find your blog? Well, um, markmillerleadership.com, okay. but I'm not blogging as much as I used to because I'm being told that blogs aren't all the rage anymore. So I'm right. trying to find new channels. Uh, Mark Miller Leadership on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I mean, awesome. I'm trying to do some other things. Um, but let me do this. Let me give my cell number because people are going to have questions. So they can call, they can call or text 
612-8441. I'll have it in the show notes, by the way, just so that everybody will have it there. Yep. One more free resource, if anybody's interested, we created an assessment, a smart leadership assessment. And so if you text, be smart without a space to 66866, you get a free assessment. And the assessment, you know, it is what it is, a bunch of questions about the things we discussed. Mm -hmm. Based on your responses, the computer spits out some things you might do with a prescription. So if that would serve some of your folks, uh, it's a free Free research. I will. I will be texting it as soon as we're off this here because I know I need help with leader Mark. Thanks so much. It's been a joy to meet to meet with you and and hopefully we can get together in a year and hear hear a little bit more about what you've learned and get gain some more wisdom from you. So I appreciate it a ton. Great to see you. Thank you, Chris. Hey, thanks again for tuning into Let's Talk Teams. If you have any other questions, we'd love to talk with you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Uptick App. Or you can also message us personally. Our info is in the show notes. And if you want to make your one-on-ones better with your team or with your manager, check out Uptick by visiting uptickapp.com.